amplified pattern recognition. Why does the universe exist? Yeah. Yeah. We're about five light sides away from being Welcome to Think Tank. This is a podcast where in each episode we pick a topic and discuss it with industry professionals and thought leaders in that industry. I'm Josh Gonzalez. And I'm Braden Drew. And we're the hosts of Think Tank. This is episode one, where we'll be focusing on UX design. In this episode, we have our first guest, Nate Garvey, who's currently a product designer at Facebook. Uh, Nate is originally from Toronto, where he started his own company called Heist. He's now working at Facebook, where he's trying to better the user experience for searching people on the social network. And in this conversation with Nate, we'll be bringing up ideas, philosophies, processes, among other things, and just try to get different perspectives on the topic. This episode was recorded in San Francisco, California, where Braden and I traveled down to do a couple episodes of the podcast, but all the intros were recorded back home in Toronto in the studio. So yeah, let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Nate, and where you've been in the industry and where you are now. Sure. So uh, I'm a new product designer at Facebook. Uh, I actually just moved down here from, uh, from Toronto to the Bay Area. And uh, before uh, before Facebook, I had a design agency uh, with with a, uh, some other partners uh, called Heist Data and Design. We were like a uh, user experience user research firm uh, that uh, that did some some fun stuff in uh, in Toronto. Um, yeah, and before that, I kind of did some tours of uh, different design and ad agencies in the city. Uh, before uh, yeah, stepping out on my own with uh, with Heist and then coming down here. For those those of you out there listening who don't know about product design. What can you tell us about that, Nate? Like exactly what that entails? Sure. So product design is actually like it started as industrial designers. We're called product designers. Um, it's only kind of been recently and like I'd say even in the, you know, maybe late 90s, more likely uh, like late 2000s, it kind of became this term used for um, people who design like screen-based experiences. Um, so you'll hear product design, you'll hear user experience design, you'll hear UI design, you'll hear interfaces. There's so many different job titles that get is blends through, that just yeah. all get blended together and <laughs> thrown around. And uh, uh, some people take more literally than others. Um, product design, in a digital sense, seems to be, almost be a like tech and almost a Bay Area specific job title. Like it, when we uh, look for product designers in Toronto, people are like, uh, you mean UX designer, uh, <laughs> graphic designer? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, you mean industrial designer? Yeah. Um, so uh, product designers uh, have to um, essentially they're, they're, it's it's a bit of an I guess an ambiguous uh, role, but uh, you're often in kind of in practice you're often uh, you know prototyping uh, different apps or different screen based things um, and then uh, trying to understand people understand their behavior um, understand what they're trying to accomplish um, either with your service your product uh, around the world. Uh, and uh, trying to make something digital come to life that matches what people are trying to do or want to do or a task they're trying to accomplish. Um, so yeah, like that can involve prototyping, that can involve you know mocking up screens in Photoshop or Sketch, that can involve running user research, um, that can involve um, you know facilitating brainstorming sessions with the team, that can involve um, a pretty wide range of activities, <laughs> and it kind of def- it def- it definitely differs place to place but at a, at a high level those are kind of the big buckets right it seems like research is a big area for that and like kind of iterating on the design and like you you say you do a lot of research like what does that really mean in product design because i know it there is a lot of like product psychology and it is kind of like a psychological aspect to it like what does that really mean like what are what do you guys do really yeah so 
user research again can mean different things in different places. Um, but what you're really trying to do is uncover like deeper understanding and kind of whys behind a lot of uh, a lot of questions or assumptions you might have or hypotheses you might have in your uh, in your design process. So. Um, in practice, that can look like um, going around with a prototype on the street and trying to intercept people being like, hey, do you have five minutes for a Starbucks gift card to play around with something I'm working on? Or, you know, do you want to see something cool not released yet to the world? Do you want to, like, get a sneak peek? Um, so it can involve uh, kind of going in context or in, in, in the field and in someone's actual environment where they might use your product and get into play around with the prototype. Um, there's a lab-based user research where it's maybe more of a formal usability, kind of a little bit more of an academic situation where you're trying to see, like, do people understand what this button label means? Uh, are people confused about what's going to happen next when they tap something? Um, do they even understand what this, you know, app or product or experience is for? Like, do they, does it not even make sense to, to what they're trying to accomplish? Um, so it can be in lab settings like that. Uh, it can be um, remote. It can be surveys. It can be uh, diary studies. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different kind of tactics and forms it can take, but you're always trying to um, get insight into the why behind somebody, do, why does somebody does something or what they're trying to do. So there must be a lot of problems and complications that come with such a wide spectrum that you have to deal with. So would you say like maybe a language barrier is probably one of the most reoccurring problems or is it really just the hands-on techie part? Like what really occurs to you when you're trying to formulate a really good product design? Clarity is is often like one of the big, big factors that you you bump up against over and over again. Um, you know, if if you're using an app, you're designing an icon for a certain screen. You know, do people understand what this? You know, what's going to happen when they tap on this? Um, does it need a label? Is this language clear? Does it map to their mental model of how they think about the task? Like, does you know, does this camera button make sense to how they take photos and how they share photos with their friends? Um, should it just be a little, uh, a little circle with like a little red blinking light? Should it be a camera icon? Should it be like a flash snap icon? Um, understanding what's clear and what makes sense to people is, is something that you'll, you'll often come into over again. That's like, that's one of the big things you'll come, you'll come up against. Right. So it's coming up with those affordances essentially. Yeah. Totally. That's a big thing. And I, I've been reading about lately as getting these affordances where you know like before you even tap something like you kind of expect it to do something if you look at a door you look at a handle you expect it to open or twist but then there's these bad designs where you go to pull a door and it's actually a push and you get knocked right into it right yeah totally when you're when you're designing some verse for a screen um you obviously have to create the affordance from scratch it's not like a um, a door handle that has a you know a consistent shape or a consistent couple of shapes. Um, when you're dealing with pixels, it can take any shape you want it to be, right? It's this fully malleable medium and format that you're working with, unlike uh, maybe some some like physical or traditional. You have to design. create your own physics around the <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Make it look natural, mm -hmm. right? So you do mostly mobile right now. Is that your um, your focus, or just screen based in general? Screen based in general, two um, D screen. Because there's like yes, two D screen, yeah. not, <laughs> not, not <laughs> VR or three D screen no. right now for me. Um, Are you interested in that? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, actually, so I, I, I didn't say this, but I actually studied at Ryerson in Toronto and uh, the new media program there. New media. How is that different? Like, how does it teach you? Did you even learn interaction design? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah the new media. So I took the new media program at Ryerson, and that was like this. It's like this weird blend of like fine arts, interaction design, installation design. Uh, I see like Arduinos and stuff. Yeah, and physical there, computing. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. learn like some soldering and robotics too. It's right. like this weird like which of these jack of all trades. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And so you'll see some. You'll see like people come out and be really great, like 
developers. You see people come out and be really great artists. You see people come out and be really great designers. Like there's there's a really wide range of people that will come out of the program. Um, but at its core, it's like a digital making program, which I thought was really um, a really valuable, you know, skill and and viewpoint to to pick up on. I was in school, you know. It, you, I was kind of presented with the options of like, okay, do I go like business school route or do I go like and like learn how to be a manager uh, <laughs> or do I like yeah. go do like this thing that I thought was related to Photoshop? Uh, <laughs> uh, so funny. I remember I almost took the uh, new media program too. And then the first thing I saw was an installation with like a horse head and it was like lighting <laughs> up. I'm like, what is this? Sure. So I yeah. didn't really know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it, really, it was awesome. Like we, I was reminiscing with some some other grads not too long ago about the things we duct taped together in terms of like making installation. Like we, we had this um we had this one installation that was uh it was like a text you could text in and like write this story that we projected. We had this like, giant like epic book installation where you could text in and like the words would show up on the book from projected from above. And uh, we were like reminiscing about how we like duct taped together like. Uh, like Ruby scripts and text files and like Bluetooth links. And it, it, it just, we would take whatever technology we could figure out and try to like cram it together <laughs> to try to communicate an idea. Right. <laughs> which, which like, honestly, that's like a great design skill set and having understanding of like what tools are at your disposal and just being able to smash them together some way to communicate an idea or create an experience um, before you go try and scale it up to something bigger. Um, which was just that mindset and, and kind of ha- not hacker mentality, but problem solving mentality right. was a really valuable, uh, really valuable skill to learn there. It's kind of like in between the two, like hacker yeah. designer. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot of that going around where you can tweak things that already exist mm-hmm. to, to aid you for a different uh, thing. Like uh, in terms of Unity, there's a lot of people going in there and accessing the Unity engine and uh, maybe tweaking it for a certain thing that they're trying to do. And, and that's kind of interesting. It's very hacker-esque. I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't know how legal that is or if they're allowed to do that. But it's, I think it's legal. I, think it's I guess either. so. Yeah. Well, we can't really stop them. They're doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, our professors were, were not too concerned about the legal side. Yeah. They were like, if you can do it. Go take a stab at it. <laughs> don't worry, you're protected. Don't get, don't get arrested, though. Yeah, uh, yeah we we do like uh, we. <laughs> I remember one year we got in trouble because we did a uh, we did a gorilla we did gorilla installations at Nuit Blanche, so like we weren't officially on the Nuit Blanche card, but we just did like gorilla installations. <laughs> People, <laughs> Which, like, I don't know what this is. Is this part of it? Yeah, it's part of it. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there there was some some hand slapping afterwards. I think that happened, but uh, it was uh, it was great. It it it, it was it was you know, do whatever you, you had to do to like communicate something or create an idea or create an experience, which is really awesome. Now getting back to on topic on about design yeah, and about on, what I actually do. How do you come up with um, the idea of who your target audience is? And is it really always such a, a, a wide spectrum? Like we're trying to hit as many people as we possibly can, or do you ever have to detail it to a very specific type of person? I, I hate saying it depends, but it kind of depends on, on what, what company you're at and, and what kind of scale you're working on. Um, you know, when we're working with Heist and a lot of the, the clients we had in Toronto, um, we, we do kind of some upfront research to try to understand and strategy to understand who we're, we're targeting. Um, whether that be, you know, a subset of a client's like existing customer base, you know, we want to target people that are like, 50 to 65 that like are having a hard time like managing managing like their own telco account maybe uh, and we want to try to make them feel more empowered and self-sufficient when they're you know signing up or changing their, their data plan um, 
might be a persona or a target you could you could go after. Um, when you're dealing with Facebook, you're dealing more with uh, with use cases. Um, so you're you're a little it's a little less you know we want to target this country. So sometimes it is, but often it's it's more of a more of a behavioral uh, focus. So you know we want to. We want to target people who are wanting to share friends after a party, right? Uh, so it's a little bit less, uh, a little bit less, um, maybe uh, like traditional demographic specific and more behavioral. But like, if you do that, would it go out to every user on Facebook, or would it be like to certain people? Like, will some people get certain features that others won't because this is their behavior and this is the way it's going to work for them? Or because it's such a large number of people. Yeah, most most big tech companies will. Um, uh, will have some kind of like geographic or like region focus. So like when you're launching something, they might say, okay, we're going to roll this out to two countries, let's say the U S and like France. Um, and they'll kind of target those countries. So I, there might be certain situations maybe where if, if that's part of what you're trying to accomplish, so that's part of your strategy to, um, roll out to a specific behavior maybe, but normally when you're launching something at a big a larger tech company there's like scale and you want to make sure you get it right on a smaller subset of people before you just roll it out to everybody you, you know no uh, uh large company is gonna just be like okay let's flip the switch and overnight we're gonna turn this on for everyone there's always a, uh, you know always a phase launch plan that most companies have that they put a lot of time and effort into into, into crafting how they're going to roll something out to get really positive signal and understand how someone's going to use it before you roll it out to everyone um, you need you need like a you need like a, a you know a small sample size uh, to say okay this is statistically significant enough that we know with this small sample size is representative of our larger uh, user base that we're going after uh, that we believe we've got strong enough signal to believe that this is going to be a great experience or accomplish what they're trying to do. And a lot of that data I assume is just captured through Facebook itself. People who are just using that app, or is it throughout the whole slew of uh, apps that Facebook has rolled out? Um, I don't know too much about uh, the data collection side, to be honest, or the um, the data science side. So one of the practices that you get to work with as a product designer is um, data analysts or data scientists. Um, and this is that this is most uh, most tech companies or most really strong product companies will have a really strong data science team. Um, that their res their responsibility is to you know uh, understand how people are using things in different contexts, different platforms, um, and and try to find the right numbers and metrics to track to understand if you're doing a good job or you're achieving what you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, data science is one of those roles where you'll be more numbers analysis focused. Um, and you know, that's kind of the, the, the nice quant to the qual of maybe a user researcher, which is another role you'll be, you'll be working with as a, as a product designer who will, who'll spend a little more time coordinating and running, uh, research activities. So there's a lot of different roles within that whole area of a lot of people working together. Yeah. So, um, product teams are uh, at, uh, at tech companies or at, um, even, you know, big, small, um, we'll kind of break down into a couple of disciplines. Uh, there's product managers. Uh, there's um, obviously engineers. You'll have front-end engineers, uh, which will be uh, responsible for implementing a lot of the UI. You'll have back-end engineers who you know might be responsible for the infrastructure and figuring out how something's going to launch globally or, or launch only to a specific region. Uh, you'll also have uh, user researchers, which will work uh, pretty closely again with product designers and, uh, and the rest of the team to understand who we're targeting, what behaviors we're targeting, uh, what existing research or data do we have that might prove that what we're working on is a really great, uh, going to be a really great experience for people. Um, and then you'll you'll often have data scientists 
who will, um, I'm probably missing some roles, but uh, they know of data scientists, like I said, that'll, that'll be responsible for measuring, analyzing, and understanding uh, maybe the numbers side and tracking how people use something. Wow, there's just so much that goes into it. I don't think a lot of people really realize what actually goes into it. They just see the front end of their Facebook and they're like, yeah, it kind of just happens. And, yeah. And like, <laughs> he brought us around the campus yesterday. It was insane. The amount of people there is really cool to see everyone just meshing all together and just working together. Yeah, there's a really like open and collaborative um, atmosphere uh, there so far, which has been really, really great to be a part of and, and great to see. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 really important, I think, for really great product teams to be able to collaborate and kind of work cross-functionally and not just be um, siloed in their specific disciplines. Right. Um, so something that you know you'll see sometimes even more traditionally in in the in more, more bigger traditional companies that aren't as uh, as cutting cutting edge or as tech focused, you'll see, you know, engineers will go sit way over here in this room, and uh, designers will go sit on this other side of the room so or another part of the room. Like yeah, kind of you'll see like, a lot. They spread everyone up into their own yeah, little yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of you know I just. I just throw a link in my engineers like, hey, make this. Go over there. Go away and make this and tell me when it's done. Uh, whereas really successful teams obviously need to have a lot higher uh, higher frequency of, of communication and be really focused on the same thing together. Does that mean like a designer needs to know some kind of code at least? I mean, in the engineering side, right? Is that important? For- uh, <laughs> are you asking me if designers should code? <laughs> it's it, it's it's like this long right um, i know it's, 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 it's a big it's, thing it's, it's right a horse there. that's been beat to death uh should should designers learn how to code um yeah it's it's important to understand at a high level uh you know the restraints that you're going to have with your medium um you don't want to be uh, uh oblivious to maybe the performance restraints or the the uh the uh, data or implementation restraints that you're going to be running up against so it's important to have an understanding but like I'm not coding on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and, you don't need like most a low designers level. aren't. Yeah, yeah. Like I think a lot of designers uh, will uh, code to be able to express an idea, maybe. Right. Um, but production code is something that's much different. A lot of a lot of companies actually uh, shipping front-end code or shipping back-end code is a very you know intense task. Like there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time thinking about how it should be structured and, and the semantics around it. Yeah, and like even nowadays, like a lot of designers don't even need to do that because there are so many awesome applications out there, like Envision, that just you don't need to do code and you can still express that idea and hand that off. Yeah, whatever you need, whatever tool you need to do to be able to express your idea or concept is the is the key, right? So if that means you can express your idea better with, you know. JavaScript then with Envision, cool, have at it. If you can express what you need to need and communicate what you need to do with just, you know, flat images and Envision, that's great too. <laughs> um so I'm 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 I guess a, a believer that you should be a little more tool be a little tool agnostic and say, Hey, whatever I need to do to get the job done, that's that's awesome. Right. It could yeah. just be a pen and paper, yep. it could yeah. Yeah. Keynote, whatever. Would you say the design is more um what your work is more key to like finding a problem and like filling it with a solution or is it more like what kind of content we can create and and is it more of like a creative aspect like i want to add this to the world or is like this could totally be done better and here's an application that could fix it or make you maybe streamline in some way or is it all like is it both is it just like a creative aspect or yeah i'd say it's it's definitely both there's you know times in your in your process and what you're working on where you're like okay i need to figure out like a future vision of this or like create kind of this north star that's going to get the team really excited about what we want to go make and that sometimes can be more creative and, and a little more expressive um and yeah and there's other and then there's other times where it's like hey we've got this really big insight from either our data or from our user research it's like oh people are really needing x and we're like okay let's go figure out the best way we can help them accomplish that um so there's there's definitely um 
I'd say all great design is still rooted in that, you know, I'm trying to solve and accomplish a problem, uh, solve a problem and accomplish, help people accomplish yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is always an underpinning of great design. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a mix of both. There's, there's times where you need to be really creative and like, oh, okay, I need to rethink this interaction paradigm of how this can be interacted with or behave um, and make that clear to people. So there's situations like that and there's situations, yeah, where you're really trying to understand kind of a practical problem that people are solving. And is there any like one overseer who can just shut down a complete uh, a complete project or design, or is it really kind of like a democracy where everyone really sees the fault in the design and have to rework it in a certain way, or really just be like, you know what, this isn't working. It's time for us to move on to something else. Or is there like that one dude is like, you didn't make so many checkpoints on this uh, list here, so you didn't clear it <laughs> and it's gone. Uh, I wouldn't say in my experience there's there's ever a lot of situations where there's that one person who can just be like, nope. Not, not happening. Um, normally, if you're hitting that and it's a surprise, you've screwed up somewhere in your process. Uh, it should be pretty clear along the way to everyone involved. Like this is, you know, yes, we've got clear signal that this is something we should make and, or launch. Um, or like uh, we kind of need to go back to the drawing board and listen and try to understand what the problem actually is that we're solving. Um, so very, very rarely have I been in a situation where it's been like, yes, it is done. I am killing this. Right. But on the opposite end, oh, sorry, on the opposite end of that, how do you like, stay away from design by committee because I know that's also a huge problem. I think design by committee can be somewhat of a myth. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a cliche that gets thrown around quite a bit. And I, I think great design is collaborative. I think designers historically have a tendency to want to protect their work and go, you know, there's this myth of the lone designer genius who goes away and designs this incredible <laughs> app uh, in their in their bedroom or garage and then comes back and presents it to the world and everyone throws money at them. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't really buy into that. And I think uh, great design should be, should be collaborative. Um, good designers should be able to facilitate and like steer a design in the right direction. Whether that's saying like, eh, I don't really agree with what you're saying. I'm not going to do that. Uh, or, um, or trying to, uh, uh, you know, create a group brainstorm, get some free ideas kind of out in the open is always a really, um, powerful idea. So I don't really buy into the, the design by committee myth, I guess. Um, it, it, it definitely can happen, but normally that's not necessarily a representation of people, but some kind of process failing. And good designers should be able to avoid, or at least uh, be able to raise a flag when they see design getting watered down with bloat or with extra features or things that don't really um, aren't really necessary to solving the problem. But yeah, you, you definitely should have a great team uh, that has good product sense uh, in order to to avoid that. I think everyone needs to be on the same page and have an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. And that is often a major preventer of a design getting confusing or complicated or, or not really solving what you set out to do. So, I, so what I'm getting from what you're saying is it's really good to be an expert designer and have all that skill and talent. But if you don't have the people skills there and the cohesion to actually socially connect with other people in the same field, you're kind of really left out in like this ether of being like a lone wolf and you're not really taking the full power of the collaborative movement where like these huge tech companies you have so many people there like that brain power to just like have everyone connect up and like link in to create something really special is definitely the, the way to produce something yeah there's there's um there's definitely an, an, an a very open culture at uh, at facebook and so your work is often you know visible to lots and lots of people um and the more feedback uh, you can get, the better your design's gonna be. Uh, so 
that's not necessarily saying you have to act on all that feedback, uh, but getting lots of different viewpoints and really being um, thorough and making sure your work's really intentional. Like, yes, did you actually mean to make that button blue and why? Um, and that's just gonna make your, your, your design better. Um, so opening up to feedback and having lots of different viewpoints and stress tests the, the, the system or the, the design that you're working on is only, only gonna make it better. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really think that's a, that's a great point that, you know, facilitation and um, people, people skill management is, is a huge, huge part of design. Yeah, it's almost like creating your own dynamic, which is like a self-sufficient um, momentum where like the collaboration between all the people is just, it's almost like a biological feeling at some level where you're like, this is awesome. I'm really into it. Where like some companies are like, I freaking hate my job. I don't care about average Joe in cubicle C or, or anything like that. And it's, and I really like how it's not, I thought it would be more segregated and more compartmentalized when it came to like engineers and designers. And, and the fact that you can have that intermingling and mixing is like, there's some problems or things that other parties can solve. And you must take away some of that knowledge just by talking to them or, or expressing uh, ideas with them even because the different perspectives from where they come from must be very enlightening and, and open. Yeah, definitely. It, it, a lot of it comes back to empathy as well and having empathy for your, for your teammates and the problems that they're up against and you know the problems that you might be creating for them and uh you know you don't need to understand how you know a full tech infrastructure works but uh having having empathy for the for for their day-to-day -day can go can go a long way yeah so I, I think it's important to make sure that you're 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 understanding everyone's everyone's point of view on a on a problem or on a surface you're trying to tackle and uh and really really going after that same goal together and and with the collaboration, have have you on like just your own personal experience, like a designer who who maybe wasn't really truly in love with design and kind of like secretly was picking up engineering aspects or coding aspects and then just switched complete fields and became like a new coder or or just changed the whole sh dynamic shift because of what they viewed at the, like a collaboration of a company. I don't know if if collaboration has been the I've ever seen collab collaboration be the spark for that. I've seen some people hop back and forth or transition roles between design and engineering, and some people that love both. Um, some really rare, uh, well, less and less rare, I guess. Maybe a couple of years ago, it was a bit of a rare breed to see a designer and someone that had engineering from you know solid engineering chops as well. But now it's it's becoming much more common, which is really great to see. Um, you know, there's really great programs out there and you know in toronto there's like hacker U, there's bitmaker there's um brain there's station now brain station yeah. now um doing really uh really awesome offering up really great classes to kind of help round out your skill set uh, and, and give you maybe a different point of view on on something you've done done previously and there's 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 things like general assembly down here F facebook's got a really great internal um education and learning program as well and i think most big tech companies do um, to really help you kind of round out your skill set. Like I, I've been, I've been learning Swift and how to use Xcode over the past little while, which has been really eye-opening experience. And not nearly, definitely uh, takes away a lot of the intimidation when you, when you get someone, you know, a really good teacher to walk you through either the the design side of things and the design tool set and the, the user interviewing side, or the inverse, the you know, the coding and the engineering and the the structural side of things. Has it changed your viewpoint on that? Like now that you do understand maybe the lower level of the engineering or the coding does it make you think differently about the design or is it still taking that holistic approach i, I don't know if it makes it's it's just another tool in your tool set right, right? like it, it's it's great to be able to like i said like actually dip into a little bit of code to express an idea and maybe give you a little more granularity and control about how you do that right. and be a little more thorough in how you're maybe prototyping something um yeah so i'd say it's just like another tool to be able to use not necessarily a uh 
a whole other world. Uh, well, it is a whole other world, but yeah. it's not, it's not, you know, changing my day-to-day design too Haven't much. It, has it ever made you hesitate in putting a design forward just because you know different point of views and you're like, oh, this might be very hard for them to do, like given what I'm trying to express. Yeah, and, and long before I was even at Facebook, that's that's something that you're always considering. It's like, okay, if I roll out really large photos in this design, what are the implications across, you know, the existing images we have or the existing data set that we have. Um, or, you know, if I, you know, want to make a full photo grid when you tap on something, how's it going to affect performance? Is that going to make the, you know, the app feel laggy? I think that's, you know, performance is obviously a huge one that as, an, as a designer, you want to always be taking into account when you're on a, on mobile or on the web and uh, having a good understanding of what affects performance from an engineering perspective can, can really help your designs feel, uh, feel a lot, lot tighter and a lot more uh, thought out. I think it takes a certain type of people to get into product design. Someone who's very open and 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 very um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say liberal because <laughs> that seems too political, but more like just open to more ideas and how things should flow rather than looking at the status quo and just trying to like tweak on that. No, it's challenging it for sure. I, it's I, I I wouldn't say it. I'll say it's na- I'll say it's nurture, not nature. Uh, okay, okay. It's, uh, it's definitely something that can be developed, and empathy is and design thinking is definitely a muscle that that gets developed that you practice and you you know you develop a, a an intuition about how people react to certain things um, that you know you obviously always need to back up with with hard proof or or some kind of hard clear signal. Um, but yeah, it's it, empathy and and uh, design problem solving is definitely uh, a muscle you can practice and you can learn and you can train. It's not something that you're you know you walk into a room and like just catch it. start start <laughs> start sketching out brilliant ideas that are going to change the world. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that can be learned and it can be developed, practiced over time, uh, and uh, be acquired. So if someone wants to become a product designer, someone who's looking into the space and they find interest in it, like where can they get started? I try to um, point people towards the research side or like the understanding people side when they're starting out as as designers um, and making something concrete and seeing how people react to it. Um, so I, you know, I try to recommend, you know, like Design of Every Things is a great read. Um, Just Enough Research by Erica Hall is uh, another great read. All, all of the Book Apart series, I don't know if you guys have seen those. They're really, um, they're a good mix of kind of practical and uh, and um, kind of thematic reads to get to get you thinking about uh, making digital things. Um, and then the, the other advice I always give people is... Uh, uh, just, just start making something, uh, even if it's horrible. Like even if it, you, you don't necessarily have the, um, the skill sets right away. Just start making something. Practice, practice, practice. Do it over and over and over again. Um, design, design something as 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 many times as you can. Uh, is uh, is is always something that I try to piece of advice I try to give people. Um, and then and then you know, supplement that with the skills after. So, you know, you can learn sketch, you can learn, you know, envision uh, after that, but having a core understanding of people, having a core um, sense of empathy for people in their situation, uh, being able to spot problems uh, that people have or in your own life uh, is, is, a, is another skill set that's just practiced and, and, and trained. Um, 
and, and be be able to interact between those. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I I, I try to point people towards the the research side of things and um, the education side. Education side um, to really uh, to really get a start. But yeah, there's a lot of really great resources out there on the on the. Um, interwebs interwebs um there's uh if you're if you're if you want like the the very practical hands-on skills there's design and code.io design plus code.io i think design, uh, oh is that the ming yeah, yeah. Ming, ming tao or ming tao uh classes on sketch and uh and xcode that are really great kind of practical uh hands-on uh, approach to kind of picking up some of the the day-to-day skill set um after you've got an understanding of uh, people but yeah watching people use what you make is incredibly educational and informative um even if you're not even if it's a side project or something you're working on kind of in your own free time um go out and find somebody who might use what you're making in the future and have them give you some honest feedback it can go uh, can go a long long way to becoming a really uh, a really solid product designer. Yeah, just to, to gain more experiential knowledge. And and I guess in the long run, when you do try to maybe get hired or, or start working on your own thing, the more, I guess, different scenarios that you've come into, you'll have more, more tools in your back pocket to pull out to help you adapt to certain situations. Like, I don't know about you, how you, you must have a plethora of different tools and stuff that must have to be coming up and use, especially working at Facebook and stuff. Do you find that when you look at your colleagues and stuff, they all have very... Uh, different tools and stuff that they can bring out and offer to the table. Do a lot of them have a very similar uh, like upbringing towards? I'd that? say it's a different skill sets, maybe, and but similar tools for the most part. Um, you know, there's some people that are really, really strong, you know, systems thinkers uh, in terms of developing, you know, visual systems and like how uh, how something will be you know, used and stretched in different, different kind of ways it can be used. Other people are really great, you know, interaction designers that have a really strong sense of animation and kind of pop and press and, 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 uh, feedback loops that they can create. Um, so you see a very variety of skill sets like that, but there's for the most part, the skill sets, sorry, the tool sets at this, as, as many new tools as there are <laughs> launching on a daily basis, it seems like there, there is kind of a, a core tool set of like sketch, Framer, Origami, um, Xcode, uh, starting to starting to starting to formalize. So, so really, the individuality of the of the, the workers hired there is a big part. Not just use because all the tools seem to be similar. It's just how they use them. Yeah, and express them. That's 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 good to see. I I, I don't know. I have a very dark vision of of tech companies and stuff. And we're just like, you must learn this, and then that's. And then you just have like very small creative input and it's very from the top down, but it was not like that. At least at Facebook, like that was very eye-opening. Yeah. Like I said, whatever, whatever tools you need to use to like communicate an idea, um, have, have at it is kind of most places that I've worked at been the approach. Um, obviously there's like a network effect of like support around something maybe like sketch where if you're using illustrator maybe there's not as many designers using illustrator so it might be you know there might not be as many resources available to you that you might have to do a little more legwork and sink a little more time in um but yeah there's there's for the most part there's not too many places that are like you have to use photoshop or you know there if 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 i have been in those environments it's simply because like there's a lot of other people like the network effect where like there's a lot of other people. So in order to like support them and be able to collaborate, you need to kind of pick a tool set and stick with it. Um, but very rarely is it like, Oh God, you have to use this one thing and one thing only forever and ever. Uh, it's, it's most, most people around product work have a fairly open mindset right. when it comes to tools. So then going before that, even what are like some exercises that you could do to become a better designer that aren't specifically 
like with the tool sets aren't specifically technical like what are some like just kind of mindsets philosophies that you can kind of live by to become a better designer so one really great exercise i tried to or that that uh one of my really great professors had us do was um on a rainy day uh go sit somewhere and uh watch watch what people do just watch people walking by see see what kind of life hacks they uh they have or they come up with in a stressful situation or in a different situation a different environment so um you know go look at someone's bike when it's raining outside do they have uh some people will have like a garbage bag tied over their bike seat you know is that a problem that you can solve so i always try to encourage people to to go watch people and find life hacks or problems that they have in their everyday life and uh try to try to solve it like whether it's a screen-based design or whether it's like an industrial design or, or whatever um go go people watching and, and see see you know what what little tricks they do in their day-to-day life to make their life easier better more enjoyable that's awesome so basically you have them actively use their brain like to observe a certain situation and just try to think out like oh how could i make this better mm-hmm. or or what problems arise in everyday life because those problems that do get solved are the ones that like hit huge, like just simple things like to make life easier. Everyone loves. Yeah. It. And a- another great one uh, that one of the other design directors at heist uh, gave to me, I think he got it from IDEO. I'm not sure. IDEO is another great uh, design. Uh, one of the older design studios uh, that's actually down here um, that does really, um, really impactful work around, you know, industrial design, screen-based design, um, they do healthcare, automotive, all kinds of stuff, but they're really, they, they pioneered a lot of the design thinking, uh, air quotes, design thinking methodology, um, with, uh, with David Kelly and uh, actually the Kelly brothers. Um, uh, so the, the little trick that he gave me a little exercise, uh, was to keep a, a bugs lift list for your life. So write down all the little things in your day-to-day life that annoy you or bother you. Um, so you've got kind of a hard record of, of small things that you could go out and try and find solutions to, whether that's, um, trans playing music when you're in your car on your iPhone, right? Uh, you know, I have to tap around between all these little menus just to get the one like album I want to listen to. How could you go about solving that differently? Or, um, uh, what are some other ones? Uh, transfers on public transit. Uh, I always lose them. I scrumple them up in my pocket and they like TTC driver can't read it or the transit driver can't read it when I, when I go between, um, go between stations. So keep like a little bugs list or, uh, uh, yeah, I guess a bugs list for your life. Things that bug you. So it's like taking the Jerry Seinfeld approach, but then you just take an- <laughs> on another. <laughs> it level. is it's yeah, exactly it is. that. Absolutely but then you is. just take another step further and solve try to that. Solve it. Yeah. So yeah. instead yeah. of just telling people this is what bugs me, you try to solve it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. that's on your bugs list? What's on the top of your bugs list? Ooh. Um. I I I'll admit I haven't been writing down my bugs list. Ooh. Yeah. Um, shame. <laughs> shame. Um. Hmm. I don't know if I can come up with it off the top of my head. They always like, that's, that's why you're supposed to write them down right. is because they always happen in the moment and then you forget about them when you actually got to try to think <laughs> yeah, about for them. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, anything off the top of your head that you kind of think of? Hmm. Uh, let's move away from the bug, bug list cause you're getting a little 
putting them on the spot. We're putting you on I'm blast. Totally on the, totally on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, are there any apps that you know actually solve problems? Like any great user experience or like problem-solving apps that you're using right now? I mean, for us, yeah, Uber, Uber was getting huge. from point A to point B very yeah. seamlessly and and less stressful and cost-effectively. Like it's not pricey. Yeah, there's a lot of um, which. It was awesome coming down here because there's a ton more apps that aren't available in Canada. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, little like take a photo and post it for sale uh, apps that you can use that are really interesting. There's like Gone is one of them, Depop. Uh, there's a few of them where you can essentially just like take a photo of something and put it up for sale, uh, which I think is a really great problem to solve. It's something I definitely had when I was moving. I was like, oh man, I've got these books that I don't want to move. I'm sure somebody else would want them. I'd love it if I didn't have to go through the work of you know writing a Craigslist post, yeah, and typing it all yeah. sorting through all the emails, coordinating meet up with them, then they don't show up. Um, yeah, versus just yeah. I see Facebook and, groups actually like buy, sell, trade Facebook groups, and it works out pretty well too. But you can't, I guess you can't really pay through it just yet. Yeah. But, cash cash Just only yeah. maybe oh there's um yeah there's there's uh also a couple apps that are for specific video games this is super niche but uh, uh like no, I have star wars battlefronts one of them right. there's a few different individual video games that start coming up with their own apps and destiny. they've been the destiny does yeah it's an okay, okay app. app. Yeah. <laughs> One of the designers at Facebook actually tried to redesign it. What? Uh, Charlie Dietz. Get him no. Yeah, you should, do you should it. check it out. Do it. Redesign <laughs> it. You should do a little search for uh, Destiny app redesign. He did, I think he has a Medium post on uh, on redesigning the Destiny app. Um, but yeah, they do a really awesome job of just like giving you a push notification when your friends go online, which seems so stupid that like, how has nobody done that before? Like, I'm so doing a different activity, but oh, I see like my two friends just logged on to play star wars i should go uh just go log on and go join log them. on and join them <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's 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 kind of insane that like sony and, and microsoft haven't built that into their own native apps um but you have to set them yourself they're called like maybe beacons yeah, and stuff. yeah it's like why aren't they it's always set in like they not, have why, my, is that, why is that not the default yeah as soon as i click he's my friend i want to know everything he's doing on this this medium like mm-hmm. I, and it should be connected to my mobile phone as well like already instantly it's always on you yeah mm-hmm. yeah so Definitely the connectivity is, is not being breached that well for consoles and stuff like that. And, and user design is not uh, seamless. No. There's always room for improvement, which is good. Yeah, they've been getting a little better. I've seen like PlayStation seems to have been putting a little more effort into like the the networking activity, the, the friend finders, and uh, they've, I think they've rolled out like PlayStation groups now. They're trying. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. trying more things like that because they were getting uh, made fun of, I guess, and on the on the interwebs for the social aspect. The social it, yeah. aspect of it is is just very disconnecting, and a lot of the games they have there are very indie, very like I'm playing by myself. Yeah, single player. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people choose Xbox over them, just because they're it's way more of a social console and. And a lot of the more games on there are like bigger social games. And now you see uh, Facebook pushing for more like earlier contracts, like with Destiny and and with the Star Wars Battlefront. They're getting like the DLC early. They're getting that early. They're trying to get groups together. And I think they're working on a bunch of apps for them as well. So they're definitely user experience is definitely huge, <laughs> and people are realizing that more. And I like that. I like that a lot more. It's less than like here's our product, take it or leave it. Nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Like a feedback loop now from mm-hmm. yeah. actual customers. Yeah. They're iterating. Yeah, and they're iterating yeah. on us. <laughs> All right, it's been amazing having you here. Is there anything you'd want to plug or add or just put yeah, out to anything, the world? Anything you want to say. Anything I want to plug. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter, at Nate Garvey, uh, N, the number eight, G-A-R-V-I-E. Uh, you can uh, follow me on, on the IGs, uh, same, same username. 
Uh, yeah, and I guess I guess it's all I got to plug right now. All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Nate. Cheers. If you enjoyed this talk and want to check out more, go to our website at thinktankcast.com and subscribe with your email so we can send you all of the latest episodes, news, and updates right to your inbox. Also, on our website, there will be show notes for this episode, uh, some links to the things that we talked about, and more detailed information on our guests. If you want to see the video of this episode, it'll be on our YouTube channel, which is also linked on our website. And if you want to keep in touch, we're on social media. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're at Think Tank Cast on pretty much everything, so you can find us on the web. And all these details, again, will be linked to our website at thinktankcast.com. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Amplified pattern recognition. Why does the universe exist? Yeah. 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 We're about five light sides away from the answer.